I care. Sounds like you can hear me. So since he would normally say that, I'll say that. Open your Bibles and, and let's turn to Acts 2, uh, 1 through 4. And kind of why I'm standing up here, um, as he mentioned, me and, and Jenny and Rachel have been coming since June. And um, we were in a, a time where we were looking for a church. And, and quite frankly, when we walked in, uh, we knew this was it. And um, the Lord's been working on me for quite some time. And, and Dennis's um, message last week did not help me any. Um, <laughs> I, I actually walked out and said, I give, uh, I'm, I'm done fighting, and, and I'll do it. And uh, so he, he said last week, you know, the, the Holy Spirit didn't show up in Acts 2, but I want to kind of talk about when the Holy Spirit did show up. So if you can look at Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, we'll read that. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested each one on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. If we could, I'd like to pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, Lord. I just ask that my words be your words, Lord, and I ask that you open hearts within earshot today, Lord, and let you speak to them beyond my words and my capability. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I want to give you a little background. I want to give you a little context. So, my name's Steve. I was, uh, I was born um, about an hour south of St. Louis. Grew up on a farm, and my dad was a mechanic. And he worked for a county highway department during the day, and he had a tractor repair business during the night. And so, working on engines, working on mechanical things was just something that he loved to do. And as sometimes sons do, they kind of take after what their dad wants to do. So, I spent a ton of time just helping him, right? I was the gopher. I'd run and get him a 916 wrench or, you know, whatever, it, whatever he needed at that time. And it just kind of grew in me. And as my teenage years hit, I became kind of a gearhead. I was always into hot rodding and, you know, got the little magazines. For those of you less than 40, a magazine is a piece of paper that comes in the mail, you know, has stuff in it, right? And so, um, you know, I kind of got into it, and, and the more I got into it, I, got, I really started getting into diesel engines, and, and Dad worked on diesel engines all day long, and most of the tractors we worked on were diesel, so I really got into diesel engines, and one of the things I loved about diesel engines, being a hot rodder, was the power, the raw power, right, and, and I don't know how much you know about a diesel engine, and I'll bore you for 30 or 40 seconds here, but the coolest thing I think about a diesel engine is if you can get fuel in it, and you can get air in it, the only thing that constrains it is the melting temperature of its components and the strength of its parts. You can pump as much power as you want. And I was telling Jenny this morning, that's, that's kind of what, it's weird how my mind works, so just get used to it here. You know, we said there was going to be no weird here today, but unfortunately that's not going to be true. Um, so um, I, I was telling Jenny, I was kind of thinking about that this morning, I flipped on the TV and they're like, and, and as soon as I flipped it on, there was this show coming on I watched from time to time called Truck Tech. And the first thing he said was, I'm a diesel nut, and here we are at a tractor pull. And I'm like, okay, well, we've definitely got to talk about this today. And so uh, he walked up to this diesel tractor, and, and the diesel tractor had four turbos on it. It was pushing 3,000 horsepower out of, you know, a fairly small engine. You know, two turbos feeding another turbo, which feed another turbo. And I'm just, this is where I'm all about. And I just love, there's practically no limits to the power in a diesel engine. So what's that have to do with Sunday morning in church? And what that has to do is, do you believe God has limits? Now, the Sunday school answer is no, right? God is perfect. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. God has no limits. But I want to tell you something this morning. I think God has limits. 
Just because my name is Stephen, don't run out to the parking lot, pick up stones yet, okay? So let me, let me speak. I, I want to propose some things to you, and I want to try to get you to think about this for a second. So one of the things I want to use as evidence is, uh, you guys have heard of the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And one of the things he said was, I want you to pray that God's will happens on earth as, as, as it is in heaven, right? That's one of the phrases. And it's always struck me why that's part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Because we think of God as being all-powerful. He's up there, he's got his lightning bolts, and he can just zap at any time. So why would Jesus teach his disciples to pray, let the Lord's will happen on earth, that is, in heaven? That makes me think that maybe earth and heaven are a little bit different. And so I don't believe that, you know, God's up there with a magic wand and God's up there with a lightning bolt, right? And, and I've accepted Christ, as most of you have here this morning, and, and what happened when I accepted Christ is Jesus entered my heart and the Holy Spirit came upon me and it's starting to change me from the inside out and I'm a long way from being done, but it's working on me. But I'll tell you what didn't happen. I, I didn't become a robot. I didn't become a zombie. I didn't become, you know, someone that when God shakes His hand, my eyes roll back in my head and I must obey God. It just doesn't work that way. In my experience, God doesn't talk very loud. God talks quietly. In fact, I was teaching a youth um, class one time, and, and I'll remember this forever. This one kid, he was early teen, said, you know what the problem with God is? He whispers. And I'll remember that forever. And, and that's my experience, is when God's talking to me, it's very, very seldom like I'm talking to you today. In fact, when the Holy Spirit comes on, on me, I call it nudges, right? It's kind of like when you nudge your spouse or... Someone just taps you on the shoulder. That's how the Holy Spirit comes on me. Now, there are times in my life, I can think of one or two, where it was so powerful that I didn't even think, I reacted, I didn't even know what happened, and and I know it was the Holy Spirit. But that's one or two times. Most of the time, it's been nudges. Most of the time, it's just a little push. So I said God, I believe God limited. So I think God's limited by two things, right? Diesel engines are limited by two things. The strength of the components and their melting temperature. I think God's limited by two things. Willing hearts and willing hands. And because of that, you know, it says we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ. So where in the Bible does it say we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ? If you search for it, it actually is not. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find specifically you are to be the hands and feet of Christ. That's actually a quote from St. Teresa of Avila. And I'll read this quote for you here. She said, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. It's pretty deep. And so it doesn't say it specifically in the Bible, but I will challenge you to find a spot where it doesn't say that in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. I've got some verses here that that says the exact same thing that she summarized here. I won't make you turn to them. I've got a bunch of them here, but you can write them down if you want. Look them up later. So 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Acts 20.35 In all things I have shown you that by working hard this way, you must help keep the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 1 Peter 4.10-11 uh, says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him being belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And I've got, I can go on and on and on. There's, I've got five or six other ones here. Right? And so, all through the New Testament, every time Jesus spoke, in fact, I'll challenge you, every time you look at, see red letters in that Bible, He's saying, I want you to be my hands and my feet. I truly believe that God is limited by us. So, what's that mean? Pastor Dennis said last week, when you have a heart for God, you want to serve God. And I believe that. But, that's easier said than done. Because it, there's lots of excuses. Right? Uh, it's too hard. I'm too busy. I don't know what to do. I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm coming up with those pretty easy because I've used every single one of them. Right? Every single one of them. So, if you want to know what I know about this subject, I'll tell you a little bit more about my past. On September 17, 2017, I preached the last sermon from a stage that I'd helped pastor of a church I helped pastor for six years and helped lead for 12. And the reason I left is I was completely burnt out. I was spent. I was tired. Um, it was hard on our family. It's, Jenny's up here crying about it. <laughs> it was hard on our family, and it was a tough time. It was tough to leave, but it was tougher to stay. In fact, um, Dennis sent me an encouraging text this morning, and I appreciate that, by the way. And I, I was telling Jenny that that was about the time that I would usually get texts from people who were supposed to be doing the music that day saying, we're not showing up, hope you can come and do it for us. And so, you know, that would be the time when I went and grabbed my guitar and packed that in the car and we went to church knowing that I would have to do extra. And so I was, I was burnt out, I was spent. As a side note, pastoring is hard. I know some of you in here have done it, and I know he does it, and I know you guys appreciate him, but you don't appreciate him enough. I will tell you that right now. It is the hardest job I've ever done in my life, and the hard part you don't see. The hard part is the being on the knees and the spiritual warfare. And I'm looking at you just because you're shaking your head because the first thing I, I did when I, um, at, when I agreed to do this this week was pray for me, right? And I've got you know, my wife to pray for me and my daughter to pray for me and my friends to pray for me because it's hard. There's, there's definitely opposition, so, since I retired, since I walked away, I convinced myself that I'd done my part, right? I mean, because we all kind of look at serving God kind of like jury duty, right? We all know we're supposed to do it. When the opportunity comes, we kind of hope that we get, you know, disqualified. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I looked at it, right? I already did it. I did it for, you know, pastored for six years, served for 12. Surely that was enough. I did so many weddings and so many baptisms and so many funerals and, and I saw people come to Christ. And, you know, one, of my greatest, one of my greatest memories is baptizing a, a guy who was coming off, down off a drunk and a high in a parking lot using a bottle of water. It was amazing. What, you know, and it was absolutely zero me and absolutely 100% God. And it was so amazing. Surely I had done enough. And when I walked away from that church, 
I knew in my heart I wasn't done, but if I'm being honest, I hoped I was. And, and I'm standing here, you know, saying that today. And just so you know, I'm preaching this message to myself. I'm doing it out loud so you guys can listen in, but this is mostly for me. So, um, if, you close yourself off, if you close yourself off from God, sometimes He'll allow it. Right? And that's what I did. I, quite frankly, I stopped reading the Bible. I, you know, my prayer life went down, and it, it just affected me. And it, it was, it wasn't, I, was, I wasn't angry with God. I didn't lose faith. I didn't lose any of that. I was just tired, and I just needed a break. When we stopped pastoring uh, that church, we also stopped attending that church because we wanted whoever was taken over to have kind of a clean start. So we went on our quest for churches, and that started pretty quick after... After we did that, and, and you know that was September, and it took us till June to find here, and we've been a lot of places. And and when we walked into the crossway for the first time, the Holy Spirit just hit us in the face, and something started to to stir inside of me. And uh, I knew for a fact that I was probably going to have to open my heart that I had closed off to God. And quite frankly, that's why I'm here today. I had I had shut down. I had said I'm not going to do this again. Um, in fact. A couple of the friends that I told that I work with that I was going to preach this weekend, they just laughed at me and said, ha-ha, you said you were never going to do that again. <laughs> and I said, and, and they knew better, right? And some of them were pastors as well, and they knew better. So that's why I'm here, and, and I want to share kind of some things I've learned um, over 12 years and six years of pastoring and, and, a, and a 13 months of not. So got some questions for you. Who... Has anyone here ever handed out a task? Maybe, you, maybe you're a boss. Maybe you supervise some people. Maybe, you know, you just do it at home and you hand out chores. You know, I'm sure all of us has probably at some point in our life have handed out tasks, right? And so one of the things that when we hand out tasks that we do, we don't say, okay, um, Tommy, I want you to clean the chairs. And Billy, I want you to clean the chairs. And Susie, I want you to clean the chairs, right? We divvy up the work. We've got this work to do. And we don't assign the same thing to more than one person. Well, God works that way too, in my opinion. And I say that to say this because I believe that everything God has asked me to do, He's only asked me to do. And that, that's not a guilt trip at all, right? I don't want us to take it as a guilt trip. I want us to take it as an honor. But a lot of times, uh, and, and as I walk through this, you'll understand, a lot of this is eliminating excuses. And some of the excuses I use a lot is, someone else will do it. If I don't do it, someone else will. God will, God will have someone else do it. That's not been my experience. That's not been my experience. My experience is, when God gives me that, that little whisper, when the Holy Spirit comes on to me with that little nudge and says, go talk to them, or go do this, or serve this, or do this, He expects me to do it. And even when He knows I'm not going to, even when He knows that I'm too stubborn to go do it, even when He knows I'm too scared to go do it, even when He knows that my excuses are sometimes greater than my love for Him. How do I know that God only assigns stuff to me? Well, we can look through the Bible. We can look at Moses. We can look at Noah. We can look at Jonah. We can look at Jeremiah. We can look at Peter. Tons of examples where God has given someone a task and did not bring someone in behind to pick it up when they didn't do it. 
And I believe that the Bible is not full of exceptions. I believe the Bible is written as full of examples, right? These people that are in the Bible are not the exceptional people. In fact, if you look at them, some of them are even more screwed up than we are. But God used them, and they're our example for us. And so, if you're like me and you use that, someone else is going to do it excuse, it's gone. Because God's not assigning that what He's given to you to anybody else but you. Once again, not a guilt trip. Just trying to tell you. I've used that excuse, and it's really good to talk yourself into that. But I've not found that to be true. No one else is going to do it. And what does that mean? Well, that task just doesn't get done. We're limiting God. So, motivation, right? Why should we serve God? You, you, you wouldn't think you'd need any motivation, right? We, we talked about adoring Him up here. We talked about how much we adore Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, we should never serve out of guilt. Don't ever serve because we think we're letting God down. Guess what? We let God down every day. I, I, was, uh, I went to Winter Jam one year and I actually got to go backstage. They bring some of the youth people. Uh, at the, I was teaching youth at the time. They bring some of the youth ministers backstage to talk to, uh, to some of the stars. And, and, um, and um, I'm trying, 10th Avenue North was back there. And the lead singer of 10th Avenue North said to all the youth leaders, um, let me take some weight off you. God doesn't need you. God wants you. And that should be our motivation. God doesn't need us, but God wants us. We should serve God out of of a deep love for Christ. We can't repay what Jesus did on the cross. It's not going to happen. Don't even try, right? We shouldn't do it because we feel guilty about our sins. Those sins are gone. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, those sins are gone. If you went to God about Him, God goes, I don't know what you're talking about, right? But I sinned last week. No, you didn't. You've... I remember distinctly that you came to me on your knees and you said, I am sorry. I don't remember what you're talking about. So, we should do this out of, a, out of a deep love for Christ. And if you haven't developed a deep love for Christ, my question to you is, what are you waiting on? He's there. And, and that's one thing I've always found is, you know, that, that's that, that you know, it's almost, um, I don't know, it's almost an an oxymoron that we think that when God's distant that He's the one that's moved, right? And we know for a fact it's us. I mean, God's been with me the entire time since I quit pastoring. Just because I'm not a pastor doesn't mean He loves me less. He's been there waiting for me, just waiting for me to open my heart and open my arms and come to Him. We need to develop that deep love for Christ. And if something's stirring in you today, let me just point out something. I'm here to, to share what's in my heart and, and what's stirred up in me. And if something's stirring up in you, please don't think it's rude to come up to these altars and, and kneel down and, and, and pray. I will keep going. You can keep doing your thing. There'll be people come around you. That's what I love about this church. So if something ever stirs in you today and the Holy Spirit's move on you, act on it. In fact, I wrote a book several years ago um, by a man named, uh, I think it was Claire DeGraff, and it's called The Ten Second Rule. And I'll, I'll definitely get the book. It's awesome, but I'll summarize the 10-second the rule very briefly for you. Basically, he says, if the Holy Spirit moves on you and tells you to do something, do it within 10 seconds or you'll talk yourself out of it. And, and that, I mean, it's a, it's a book about this thick. It's an easy read. But that's, you know, that's basically, 
it. You'll talk yourself out of it if it takes longer than 10 seconds to react to the Holy Spirit. So, if we haven't developed a deep love for Christ, let's develop it today. And we develop that on our knees up here, giving our heart to Christ. Opening our hearts, letting go of the, of the walls that we built up. Believe me, I'm chief wall builder, right? I'm good at that. I've got many bricks, and I'm very efficient at building the wall between me and God. And uh, usually when I build that wall and it's done and I'm admiring it, I turn around and he's standing behind me, right? And then I realize how foolish that was. But I want us to develop that deep love for Christ and I want that love to motivate us to serve him. So what do being the hands and feet of God look like? Well, let me ask you a question. If I walked in the back door and I couldn't see and I asked someone to be my eyes for me, what would that look like, right? And so if I came in and said, I can't see, will you be my eyes for me? You would probably take me by the arm and you would walk me down the aisle and you'd probably ask me where I wanted to sit. And I'd say, not by any weird people because I can't see. And you would find someone, you know, and you'd find me a seat and you'd make sure I was good and you'd, you'd set me there, right? And that's what being eyes for someone is. So what would hands and feet look like, right? If you remember back to that quote, from St. Teresa, we're what God has. We are all, all God has, right? He is not going to sit up there and shoot lightning bolts and make people jump around. We have to pray that His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, I think Jesus had the disciples pray that so it would open the conversation, right? Lord, I want Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good, because I need to talk to you about that, right? i got some things for you to do. We are His hands and feet. i got an example. I usually, I usually don't use my family an example, but i got one of my daughter, and she's, she can't hear me. So it's going to be all right. So a few weekends ago, we were, uh, we were cleaning up some brush around the house, and, and I was using a chainsaw and cutting, cutting limbs down, and, and I was, Rachel was out there trying to move brush, and she'd keep coming to me and going, Daddy, there's none to carry. And, and I said, well, Rachel, there's... There's 50 limbs there, right? Well, yeah, but they're too big. Well, they're not all too big. Well, but, but you know, most of them are too big. Well, why don't you go find one that's small enough that you can carry, and then you can carry that, right? And, and she couldn't focus on the ones she could carry because she was too focused on the ones she couldn't carry. And we are exactly like that when it comes to serving God. I can't cure world hunger. You're right. Go take someone to dinner this afternoon. You can't cure world hunger, but you can make one person less hungry. I can't, I, you know, I can't solve all these problems. You're right, you can't. But when the Holy Spirit nudges you to do something, you can respond. And one of the greatest excuses that I use is, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not good enough to do this. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skill. I don't, you know, have the gifts it takes. What did... Seems like God told something to Paul about my grace is sufficient for you. You're good enough. Absolutely good enough. Don't get focused on what we can't do. Because that'll, I mean, if we made a list of all the things we can't do, we would never stop. Let's focus on what we can do. So that goes. To my, you know, a lot of times we think, well, I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know who, how or who I should serve. John Maxwell, who is a, uh, he, he's now a leadership guru, but he used to be a pastor of a church. And in some of his leadership classes, when he's asking, you know, how to find people's passion, the question he asks them is, what makes you sing, what makes you dream, and what makes you cry? And I was listening to a podcast that had John Maxwell on, and one of his um, is actually a CEO of one of his companies, said, I got home from work the other night, and my wife was crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she, he said, I didn't want to get into detail, but she'd watched a video on YouTube, and it hit her in the heart. And just, she couldn't get it off her mind, and she was crying. And so he consoled her, and they talked through it, and everything was fine. Next day he went to work, and he came home the next day, and she was crying again. And he said, what's wrong today? She says that same video. He goes, did you watch it again? He goes, no, no. It's still in my heart. He said, just wish God would do something about it. And he says, I'm currently working up the courage to tell her God's trying to do something about it, and it's going to involve you. Right. right? So what makes you sing? What makes you dream? What makes you cry? What affects you? What gets you passion? Because guess what? That passion doesn't come from anyone else but God. God put that in your heart. And God wants, to, wants you to use that passion to serve Him. Now, I don't know who this is for, but there's also a kind of a third, you know, or fourth scenario. Maybe you're just numb, right? Maybe you're like, what makes you sing? What makes you dream? What makes you cry? And you're like, nothing. I don't feel anything anymore. Well, I've been there too, right? I told you I'm the chief of excuses. Been there too. Um, and I will tell you that's from Satan, Right. In fact, if you look in, if you look in Second Timothy, it says, "For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control." Right. If you feel numb right now, it's okay. I've been there too. But that numbness is not from God. God wants you to feel. God wants you to move. He wants to talk to your heart, right? Satan talks to your head. God talks to your heart. And that's how I usually tell the difference, right? Because sometimes it's kind of hard to tell who's directing you where. But if it's in your heart and you feel passionate about it, pray about it. And if you don't know what God's stirring in you, look down on your knees and ask Him. Right. Get down on your knees and ask God what He wants you to do. Another way to tell what God wants you to do is, is to look at your gifts. I truly believe that God gives each one of us gifts for our calling. Right? And so you can, out, you can sit out there and say, I don't have any gifts, and I will tell you that is completely and totally false. Every one of us has gifts. It may not be a gift that you can stand up here. It may not be a gift that you can play piano. It may not be a gift that's even, you know, the world would even consider a gift. But I know a ton of people that I want by my side when things are going bad. Because they're calm. They can go through a crisis. They always seem to have wisdom. Those are gifts, you know. I once, once heard a story of a, a church that was having a potluck and some lady walked in and she 
she dropped her casserole dish and the thing shattered and, and casserole went everywhere. And the lady just started to cry and, and everyone kind of turned around and looked and, and the pastor said, that's when I saw the gifts go into motion. Because the, the people with compassion gifts went over to the lady and they were consoling her and saying it was okay. And, and another, another people that had gifts of, of just organization and cleaning were, were, you know, hey, you go get a broom and you go get a mop and we're going to pick this up. And, a, and another person had this gift of, well, I'm going to make things right. So they said, I'm heading out to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm going to go get chicken and that'll be her, her, her uh, dish at the potluck, right? And each of us have gifts. And we need to figure out what those gifts are. Because I believe each of us are uniquely positioned and uniquely equipped to perform the tasks that God has us. And what I mean by that is where you work, where you go to school, who your friends are, where you go to church, it's not an accident. I don't believe in accidents. I used to have this phrase when I I pastored the church and, and a coincidence would happen. I would say it's almost like there's a higher power, right? Who'd have thought? It's almost like there's a higher power. And I don't believe in coincidences. And I, don't, I believe that... And oh, by the way, I need to include your experiences in that for you. Because you've been through some terrible times in your life, probably just like all of us have. And the reason you went through those could be to help someone else who's going through those now. To show them that there's light at the other end, right? That you've been through it and it was hard, but you can come out the other side. So I want you to think about that for a second. You are positioned and equipped uniquely for what you've got to do. A lot of times we ask God why, and it's mostly why is this happening to me? And we kind of say it like, why is this happening to me, right? I think we ought to say it, why is this happening to me? Because there's a reason for everything. And I truly believe that. And so we need to look at where our passions are and what our gifts are. We need to have willing hearts and willing hands. And if you remember, back a little bit ago, I bored you about diesel motors, right? And I, I told you about really cool 3,000 horsepower motors and and all the turbos and all the things that, you know, excite me. And I said the only thing, you know, if we could get enough air and get enough fuel into that motor, the only thing that was constraining it was the melting point of the material and the strength. And I also read a verse, and I want to read that for you again. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and certainly they came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Air. And filled the house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire, fuel, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just like a diesel motor, motor church, if we can get enough of the Holy Spirit inside of us, if we can get enough fuel and fire, and air pumped inside of us, we can't stop. Nothing can stop us. We've got to get fired up. We've got to understand how the Holy Spirit works, how it nudges us along, and how we can use our passion and our gifts to be the God's hands and feet 
So what are the next steps? I want all of us to know, as much as we don't want to admit it, as much as, much as we want it to be jury duty, God's got something for us to do. As much as I wanted to just walk into a church and, and sit up here, I'd actually rather sit back there, but sit up here and be fed, I know God wants me to do other things. God has something for all of us to do. The thing that God has for you to do is assigned only to you person sitting next to you or me or Pastor Dennis or that's not assigned to them it's assigned only to you and you may think you're not qualified and you may think you're not able to do it but God does God has given you gifts he's positioned you and he's perfectly equipped you to do what he's asking you to do and if we can just get enough Holy Spirit in us to motivate us to move, we can do it. So I'm going to say something here and I want you to say it with me. To be the hands and feet, we need to get on our knees. You say that with me? To be the hands and feet, we need to get on our knees. Right? If we want to be the hands and feet of Christ, we've got to get on our knees and pray about it. Right? Because guess what? The mind's good at coming up with excuses. The, guys, the mind's really good at justifying why we're still okay, right? Yeah, we're not serving God. Yeah, God wants me to do some things, and it's still okay. And guess what, guys? God still loves you. Even when you don't do it. I'm living testimony. There's lots of times when I can um, attest to that. In fact, one of my biggest failures, I was running around uh, trying to get ready for church, right? I was there at church and I'm, I'm running and doing this and doing that and doing all these other things, trying to get everything just perfect for church. And the phone rings. And someone said, yeah, the pastor's here. And they hand me the phone. And I'm talking to him, And it's a homeless couple. And they need food and they need shelter and they need this. And I said, can I call you back? Because I'm right now I'm getting ready for church. And as soon as I said it, I fell to my knees. Because getting ready for church had nothing to do with what they needed. They didn't need church, they needed Jesus. And I said, where are you at? And they told me the location. I had our church van go pick them up. I said, listen, we got food here. Uh, come join a church with us and then we'll, we'll feed you a meal. We'll, we'll get you some place to stay. And uh, actually a couple weeks ago, I ran into that homeless couple in Rolla. And they said, they came up to me and they're like, Pastor Steve. And I'm like, no, no, just Steve. Right? Let's make that clear. And they said, we got to, you know, still reluctant. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still the wall builder. Um, they said, we've got a job. We've got a house. We've got a car. And things are doing great. And um, praise God. Absolutely. And that's just one example. That, that's kind of the example where I've actually listened to what the Holy Spirit done. If you want the example of examples of when I didn't, it's going to be a much longer service, right? I've failed much more times than I've, I've succeeded. And, and one last warning, right? right? To be the hands and feet, we need to get on our knees. This will not be without opposition. Satan does not want God's will to happen. Satan is absolutely and totally real. 
if you don't believe it, become a pastor, right? Because it will become totally real. But if you've read to the end of the Bible, you already know who wins, right? And Satan will flee if you stand up to him. And the one thing I always said um, in, in my years of pastoring was, this job is extremely hard, but the retirement plan is out of this world, right? And, and that's what we're really working for. We're trying to be the hands and feet. Let's not lose sight of the goal. We want to bring people to Jesus Christ. And the point of bringing them to Jesus Christ is so that they'll get to heaven with us, right? And we can make this world a little bit of heaven on earth. And we can answer that prayer that we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'd like to pray real quick for you.